Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's great to worship with you this morning. So here's the thing. They don't trust me with announcements. Uh, so I'm going to introduce my uh, trusty assistant here, Brett. He's not wrong. So I'm going to handle the announcements for today. Uh, we've got a couple of things going on around here. Uh, the first, in a couple of weekends, we are having our group life retreat on August 5th. That's right. I heard some woohoos. Woo! August, yeah, August 5th and 6th. It's going to be amazing. Now, for some reason, there's this misconception that you have to be a cell group leader to attend, and that is false. You don't even have to be in a cell group to attend. Anybody can come. It's going to be Friday night, Saturday morning. It's going to be great. Steve Adrianson is going to be there leading us. Uh, and I do want to say, though, if you want to come, don't plan on coming just like last minute, all right? If you can, please sign up in advance. We ask because there's going to be food there. That's really the main reason, actually, there's going to be food there. Um, so we want you to sign up in advance. That means like today, not right now, after the service, sign up for that. It's going to be a great time. Also, if you didn't know, there are plenty of ways to serve in LCC and to serve around LCC. If you go on to our website, which is that was way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I honestly give yourselves a pat on the back for them. That was really good. Um, mylcc.info. If you didn't know, that is the website with all the information. Uh, we would love to have you get involved around here. There's plenty of opportunities for you. Uh, and lastly, you know, last week we had our Honduras team come back from Honduras. That was poorly worded. Uh, they made it back safely. Sure, there was some sickness, there was some illness, but everybody made it back safely, and we got to hear about their time there. And if you didn't see it, there's tables out in our lobby with kids who need to be sponsored. Um, so we want to ask you, if you're not sponsoring a kid, please consider, please go out to that table and look at those cards and look at those kids. And even if you are sponsoring, we also want you to consider maybe taking one or two more kids, if you can. Um, those are all the announcements that we have for today. So why don't you turn to somebody close to you in proximity, but maybe not in relationship, and, and introduce yourself. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Tell them your name, what brought you to LCC. Get to know them. God, we sing to you this morning. We sing for you because you are worthy. You're worthy of all of our praise, of all of our adoration. You're worthy for us to sing, holy is the Lord. This entire service, even if that's all we did, it still wouldn't be enough. God, we praise you for who you are, but also because of the great things that you have done in our lives and others. God, we pray that you be with John as he speaks this morning. Be with us, open our hearts, open our minds, convict us. Help us to leave change. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. I had one job. So, 
So my name is John. I'm a cell group leader here at uh, LCC along with my wife, Krista, and another uh, 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 couple that we co-lead with. And uh, we are in a series right now called Jesus And. And so what we're focusing on is what it looks like to put Jesus at the center of our lives and then deal with everything that comes at us in life, family, work, home, misfortune, storms, so forth, uh, with Jesus at the center rather than face these things on our own and squeeze Jesus in on the margins, so to speak. And so uh, I have the uh, good fortune of getting to follow Armando uh, in this series. And uh, I think I want to talk to him about, you know, maybe trying to bring a little more passion to his uh, <laughs> delivery. Oh, he's great. He's great. So today we're going to talk about Jesus and religion, or Jesus and religious people. So, do you think about religion? You know, if you were a, a non-believer, or an atheist, or uh, an agnostic person who, you know, maybe believes that there is a God, but they're just not sure what it means to follow him, or there's so many messages they don't know, you know, what he's really like, and so... They just want to kind of stay out of the fray, so to speak. Or maybe if you're somebody that's investigating Christianity and you, you want to know more about it. Well, there's all of these images that our culture uh, gives us all in this category of religion. And it's very confusing. So more than one Thanksgiving dinner has been ruined by some kind of a religious argument, typically. You know the saying, there's, there's two things that you don't talk about, right? Religion and politics, because there's something so personal about it and so ingrained in us that we just, it, it, it just leads to conflict uh, so many times. And then the other thing is that it's so confusing. There's so many messages, and there's all these different people groups that have you know, rituals and things that they go through, and they're, they're com all of them are completely different. So how... If there's one God, then how do all of these people go in these completely different directions and look so different from each other? Which one's right? Then there's all the violence. You know, if religion is so great and God is such a loving God, then why do all these people want to kill each other over it? It doesn't make sense. It seems dangerous to me. So. And then there's the extremists that we see on the news. You know, this group of people that commit suicide because they think that if they do, they're going to get picked up by the spaceship and taken to heaven. Uh, there's the, you know, the, the, the group where the, the leader is in jail right now for raping his 12-year-old wife um, at the full approval of his other 40 wives. Um, there's the guy down in Texas that got into a big shootout with the FBI and they burnt down his whole compound. And then there's the parents that fed cyanide to their children and, and uh, then took it to themselves and uh, hundreds of people created mass suicide. So what is it about religion that causes people to kind of go off the rails and do crazy things? You know, is that something that might happen to me? Can I get sucked into that? Maybe get brainwashed? It's scary. It can be scary anyway. Then there's these guys, and they're telling me that if I give them my money, 
God will make me rich. And there's just something about that message that I don't trust. So, but I have to give them my money first before, you know, I know whether it's really true. So, and then there's all this, you know, judgment, <laughs> you know, these rules, uh, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. And if you do what you can't do, then you're a sinner and uh, you're, you, you get criticized and condemned. So, you know, Dana Carvey played this character called the church lady. Her name is Enid Strict, and uh, for those of you under 30, uh, I'll explain. Google it or watch some YouTube videos um, later, not now. But, um, you know, she would have people on, and she would talk to them about their lives, and she'd, you know, give the sarcastic approval, you know, praise for what they were doing. And inevitably, the conversation would lead down to where uh, she would begin to... um, uh, you know, can lead them to a, a point of conversation where, you know, point out their lack of piety and, and all of this. And so um, he based this character actually on the women that he knew in the church that he grew up in. And so that was his experience. And so the problem with all of these different cultural messages is that people that don't really know God they have a tendency to, or they're by human nature, they're going to lump all of these messages in with God. And they're going to think, okay, this is, this is who God is. And that, of course, leads to um, false beliefs. So what we're going to look at today is two questions. One is, the uh, first one is, what is religion? And the other one is, why did Jesus hate religion? And so to start, I want to define what religion is. And for the purpose of our talk today, religion is a common set of spiritual attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are shared by a group, if you will. And here's the danger that we get into this. When we share a common set of beliefs with a group and that belief leads to uh, practices and attitudes, we think, okay, we all believe the same thing. So therefore, we're, we're the ones that have the truth. We're right. So where does that put everybody else? Well, they're wrong. If we're right, they have to be wrong. And so that naturally leads to a sense of exclusivity. And this is what happens with religion. We are in this, and it happens in politics, and it happens in our culture. Everywhere we look, we go to these little, and it's gotten really bad as of the last several years. We go to our little camp, and we hang out with our camp of people that have the same set of beliefs that we do. And we look at the other groups, we kind of have a tendency to look down our nose, say, well, you know, they don't understand, and they've got it wrong, they're not informed. And that leads to that sense of self-righteousness very easily. And so there's a quote, and I don't know who said it, so I'll take credit for it, but uh, there is one universal truth that all religions agree upon, though. And that is, we've got it right. So, now, you might think, well, John, are you saying that there's no absolute truth? And I do believe that there is absolute truth. And so, if you don't, then I've got it right, and you don't. (laughs) 
But no, I do believe that there is absolute truth. I'm, we're not going to address that today. Uh, but the point is that all of us have some kind of bias, right? And it's based on our education, it's our experience, you know, several things. So we're in Matthew 23. You want to go ahead and turn to that where Jesus is confronting the religious people of his day. And the religious people were the Pharisees and the scribes. So the Pharisees and the scribes were the leaders. And they held the power seat. Uh, they, were, uh, they had the, the um, influence over the Jewish people. Uh, very elite group of people. And the... Pharisees were intended to hold the scriptures, and they did. They hold the scriptures of the Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law is the law that was given, the Old Testament law that was given by, sorry, that's me. I'd lose my balance standing up sometimes. Uh, they lose, or excuse me, they, um, they held the, uh, the, the Old Testament law that was given by Moses. So that's the Mosaic law. And they, uh, but the problem was that, and, and first of all, the purpose of the Old Testament law was uh, it was to be a reflection of God's character so that as we look at the Old Testament law, it simply points us to Jesus. It points us to our need for Jesus because there's no way that any human being could keep the Old Testament law. There were some 600 and some commands there under the Old Testament law. And so um, these Pharisees opposed Jesus because the problem was is that in addition to the Old Testament law, they made up all of these other rules, these man-made rules. And that was called the rabbinic law, rabbi, the rabbinic law. And God never intended for them to make up all of these rules. And they were ridiculously uh, detailed and difficult. And they had to do with keeping the Sabbath. You know, you could, you could hardly walk or stand on the Sabbath, or you would be considered uh, sinning. They had, uh, there was all these rules around uh, hand washing. You know, if you, uh, to, to eat a meal, you had to wash your hands, which, which required specifically three eggshells full of water on each hand, and then a particular washing process and drying process and all these things. And you had to maintain and do all of these, uh, these procedures or these practices in order to uh, stay within the, uh, the requirements of the law. And so they opposed Jesus and would send their scribes to ask him trick questions about paying taxes and divorce and, and all of these things. And they said that he was from the devil. Uh, you know, he, he, but Jesus poked back at them all the way through his ministry too. Uh, when he turned the water into wine... He told the servants to take the vats and go fill them with water. Now, those vats that, were, that they filled up, they were actually the vats that were being used for the ceremonial washing. And so he took them away, and he filled them with wine. He healed the blind man, if you remember. He healed the lame man on the Sabbath. And so here were these, and the Pharisees went crazy. They, they saw this man that they've seen all his life, he's been lame, laying there on a mat. And Jesus comes up and heals them. What do they say? You can't do that on the Sabbath. So Jesus delivers this angry and scathing rebuke of all of his red letters, 
in the New Testament, everything that he says, there is no other <clears throat> language in there that is angry and scathing and such a strong denunciation as this in Matthew 23. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he even results to name-calling, and he calls them hypocrites and broods of vipers and snakes and blind guides, and he starts his, uh, each of his uh, sections of condemnation with woe to you. And he's really quite animated. And um, this is really the only thing that we see Jesus get really angry about. He wasn't angry with the sinners. He wasn't angry with the tax collectors. You don't see that or the prostitutes. It's the Pharisees. It's the religious people. And so, let's get started. We're in Matthew 23. There's a lot we're going to cover today. But um, you can follow along on the screen. And uh, I will, you know, stop and explain uh, what's going on from time to time. So, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. So Moses' seat, and that's what I was talking about earlier. That's their job. That's what they were intended to do is they held the scriptures. And so what Jesus is saying is when they're reading to you from the scriptures, then do what they say. But the problem was is that, as I said, they had added all these other laws. And so what Jesus is saying is they're spending so much time focusing all of, on all of their own man-made laws that they've lost sight of, the, of God's law, the Old Testament law. So he's saying, don't practice what they preach. They don't practice what they preach. So there's hypocrisy, right? And that's one of the things that non-believers or people that don't like religion say. That's probably the biggest thing that they say is there's all this hypocrisy. You know, we've seen all these fallen leaders, you know, that we've, some of, a lot of them, I, I re, some of them I didn't listen to, but some of them I did. And I didn't put that slide up at the beginning because I didn't really want to, you know, point anybody out. But, um, but that's all around us. And so moving on to verse 5, he says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So first question is, what's a phylactery? So there's an Old Testament reference that says, you know, keep my word on your forehead and on your arms. And figuratively, I think we know what that means. You know, keep my word in your mind and in everything that you do. But what they did was they took that literally. And so a phylactery is actually a leather box, and they would put scriptures in this leather box, and they would strap it to their head. And believe it or not, I didn't know this. I was quite surprised. That's still practiced today in some of the very orthodox um, religions. And then they would take a leather strap, and they would run the strap all the way up their, yard, their, their arm, and they would have one uh, attached to their elbow, the back of their arm as well. And so what they would do if they wanted to be really impressive is they'd make a great big phylactery and tie that on their head. And the, uh, you know, the prayer fringes, the fringes, there was a prayer shawl that they wore, and there was you know, something about the fringes 
on the shawl <clears throat> for the number of prayers and that kind of thing. And so they would have real long fringes so it would look uh, impressive. And so um, what they're saying, obviously, is, you know, I'm kind of a big deal here. So we see the pride, the self-exaltation that religion can easily lead to, right? Verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and you call, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, and the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so in Christianity in the church, there is no hierarchy. There's no org chart. There's no ladder to climb. There's no promotion to get. Leadership, the leader is the one who serves. That's servant leadership. And so you might be thinking, well, what about the deacons and the elders and the pastors? And those roles, excuse me, those words describe roles more than positions. Pastors, pastor, deacons, deacon, elders, elders, elder. And these are positions not of necessarily of authority, but of servitude. Well, what about Hebrews 13, where it says, obey your leaders and don't make their lives difficult. The word leaders in Hebrews is really those that are ahead of you. Those are ahead of you in their, their walk with Christ. And these are the people that serve the congregation. They're laying down their lives. So don't be difficult. That's what that means. So, okay. <clears throat> That's just the warm-up, okay? It's pretty convicting so far, but Jesus is just getting started. <clears throat> now we get into something that is referred to as the seven woes. So verse 13 but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This is where the name-calling begins. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So woe, this word woe, is a condition of deep suffering or affliction, misfortune. And so when somebody said woe to you, it means you're in danger, and you're going to suffer bad affliction, grief. So it's a very, very strong condemnation is what it is. And so what he's saying is you guys are misleading people about God because you're making up all these rules, and you're telling people they have to follow these rules in order to be good enough to earn God's approval. So you're not going to heaven now, and neither are they. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So what he's accusing them, or what he's convicting them of here, is that it's really a matter of effort. Like they will go all the way across sea and land to find one convert to make, to bring them into their belief system, while at the same time, there are all these people around them that need help. 
the poor, the widows, and they're ignoring those to go and find a single convert. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold of the temple? Excuse me, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men! Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What's with all the swearing? So they didn't have contracts back in that day. So if you made an agreement with somebody... You gave your oath. You swore by something, and that was, your, that was binding. That was your word. And so what they're saying is, you know, you've made up all these little rules that, you know, I can, if you swear by the temple, if you swear by the altar, then that counts. But if you don't swear by the gold on the altar, if you do by that, then that doesn't count. Or I think it was the other way around. But anyway, you get the point, right? And this is called splitting hairs. How many times do we do that about what the Bible means, you know, about how we should practice uh, our faith? And so he's saying you're getting so caught up in all of this, in this religion, that uh, you don't even realize it. He calls it, because he introduced this concept of blind guides. He calls them blind guides and blind fools. And so this is... The problem when we have exclusivity in a religious belief and superiority and we keep practicing this, we don't even, because of our human nature, we don't even know eventually we start to believe it. We don't realize that we're doing this. And that's where the Pharisees are at this point, is they become blind uh, to their own hypocrisy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones." And all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but when you are, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So two things here: looking good on the outside, both in what I do and how I look, and that's what mattered to them. We want they wanted to appear righteous. They would stand on the corner and pray. Out loud, they would have their scriptures there and they would pray to God loud so that people could hear them. Or if they were fasting, they had all these rules around fasting too. They would, they would put ashes on their face to make themselves look gaunt, you know, like they were really suffering in their fast. And so it's about looking religious. And we're going to come back to that. Um, but I want to keep moving. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I'm not keeping up with myself, am I? I'm sorry. Okay. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Okay. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send prophets and wise men and scribes, some of which you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute them from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteousness and bloodshed on earth. He says, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And so these, <coughs> excuse me, all this yelling up here, it's... Uh, All right, give me a sore throat. So they are being self-righteous here in that they think that they're better than their ancestors. They're saying, we would have never done that. Our ancestors, we don't know what they're, you know, what were they thinking? It's like us saying, you know, if I were in the crowd that day when Jesus was crucified, I would have never, you know, wanted to see him crucified. But truth of the matter is, we would have been there too. They think they're better than their ancestors while at the same time they are plotting to kill Jesus and have already paid Judas the 30 pieces of silver. So, so what this has led to is an inaccurate self-perception. They don't see themselves for how they really are. They have an inaccurate view of themselves. So hypocrisy leads to blindness. As I mentioned earlier, when we practice hypocrisy, we don't see that eventually that we become blind to our hypocrisy. And uh, we lose an accurate perception of who we are. And so Jesus hates religion because it leads to, it can lead to hypocrisy as it did with the Pharisees if we're not careful. So one of the definitions of hypocrisy that you see or hypocrite is an actor, right? And an actor pretends to be somebody else, but a hypocrite deceives. They deceive themselves and they deceive other people. It's different. And so as I mentioned, it leads to this sense of self-deception. It's thinking that we're better than we are. And so when we begin to play the part of the religious believer, we lose sight of who we really are. We don't realize that we're playing the part. The more we play the part, the less we realize that we're playing the part. Um, Johnny Depp, you know, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, I don't know, I was watching entertainment tonight or something, it was on. And they were showing all of these pictures of these actors, you know, where they show people coming to the Emmys, you know, and they have the little carpet and they're all taking pictures. Johnny Depp showed up looking like a pirate. And I thought, he is so wrapped up in his role that he can't even take off his costume when he goes to the Emmys. 
So actually, it looked more like a, a, a pirate uh, and a waiter kind of combined together. It was really weird. Um, there was a really good Netflix uh, uh, show on Jim Carrey when he played the Andy Warhol character. I don't know if any of you saw that, but um, he stayed in character all the time during that movie and was just, you know, awful to people and how he treated them. He hurt people, but he would not come out of character, and that's what happened. The longer we play the part, the more we become blind to the fact that we're playing the part. And that misrepresents God because God, as Jesus said, is a God of justice and mercy and faith. And so James says <clears throat> this way, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay. So, can you believe those Pharisees? We would have never been like that, right? Well, let's go back to verse 29. But as you've, you know, if you've read that passage before, <clears throat> how many of you read that passage and said, I wouldn't have done that? Raise your hand. Okay, so the rest of you are self-deceived. <laughs> right? I know I've thought that. So we're going to do some honest self-reflection here. How do we really know to what extent, uh, how do we really know uh, that we are not being hypocritical in some way? How do we know that we're not saying one thing and doing another? How do we know that we're acting more godly in front of our church friends than we do at home? <clears throat> my, um, my church well, my non-church friends drink a lot more than my church friends do. And, um, you know, I kind of tend to follow that behavior. I didn't, wasn't raised in the church. You know, we were, uh, I was, I wouldn't say we, sorry. <laughs> I was, um, <clears throat> you know, I was pretty worldly. And, um, you know, partying and drinking was a big part of that. And uh, so it's still difficult when I'm around my non-church friends to not go right back to that. And uh, my church friends uh, will have a gathering. They'll bring one Bud Light. <laughs> and um, I, I think it's still in my refrigerator today because I don't drink Bud Light. But anyway, you know, trying to look more faithful. How do we know that we're not trying in some way to really look more faithful than we really are? You know, I... Really love to do that and go on that vacation, but I, uh, you know, we're giving a lot to the church, and you know, we just don't have it in the budget right now. But, or what about this? What about hiding the dark corners of our character from people and not really being open and honest about that? You know, that's dishonest, really. You know, there's stuff about all of us that we don't really want to talk about. And it's very easy to say, you know, let's just leave that out. Or it's, it's easy to say, to point at other people's dark corners of their character <laughs> and say, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that. 
but we've each got our own, <clears throat> right? But we pick and choose. It's like a sin of convenience. You know, I was, I was fortunate enough to, you know, have uh, employers that had <clears throat> gave me my computer, and so they had all the software on it. So, you know, you if 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 I Googled, I'll just say if I Googled Dick Sporting Goods, it blocked it. So. Um, you know, so it's easy to say, you know, to, to look at somebody that struggles with that and say, whew, I'm so thankful that I don't struggle with that. It's a self-righteous thing. But you know what? I can conjure up some pretty bad images in my head. And that's the same thing. You know, Jesus said if we lust, we've already sinned. So are we the same person on the inside that we are on the outside? You know, am I as kind and patient with my family as I am with my friends? You know, the point is, we don't know. And we don't know for two reasons. Number one, we have a sin nature. And number two, our hearts really are not trustworthy. Jeremiah said it like this. <clears throat> am I, this are the slides going backwards or something? Because I feel like uh, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So who can understand it? <clears throat> so if we can't even understand a depravity of our own hearts, how can we know the extent to which our heart inside differs from the person that we present to other people? Let me repeat that. If I can't understand the depravity of my own heart and how sick my own heart is, as Jeremiah says, the scriptures say, it's true. How do I know the extent to which my inside person differs from my outside person? We just don't. Martin Luther <clears throat> said it like this. Okay, I had to make sure it's up there. Okay, how do I know that my confession of sin is sincere? And how do I know my heart is really contrite? Suppose I get on my knees before God to confess my sin. And I think I'm sorrowful because my sin grieves God. But what if I'm deceiving myself? What if the real reason I confess my sin is just to take out the garbage so I'll feel better? What if I'm put off by my sinfulness, not because it wounds others and grieves God, but because I think sinning is a scummy lifestyle that's beneath me? What if I'm using confession and prayer of my sin to to pay the price for my sin. To say, okay, I've done my penance, I've confessed it, I've, I've you know, admitted it to God and asked for forgiveness. But doing that just for the purpose of checking a box and saying, okay, but not really, not really changing my behavior. And it's scary to think that, you know, I may be a hypocrite without even knowing it. And it's scary to think that I may be misrepresenting God even without even knowing it. But thank goodness, you know, we have grace. And that's why we need God's grace. This is the one thing that Jesus came down on, is hypocrisy. And because of our hearts, because our hearts are weak and sick and broken, because of our sin nature that we have, it's in our DNA we don't know really how sincere we are in our faith. That's what Martin Luther's saying. We can't know. 
We don't know how deceived we are. We don't know each other's hearts or even our other hearts. But we do know that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That is what we do know. We do know that we stand behind, before God and we open our hearts to God and we say, God, I am a sinner. My heart is depraved. It's sick. I don't even know how bad it is. But I know I need your forgiveness. And I want your forgiveness. And I'll accept your forgiveness, your gift of forgiveness, your free gift of forgiveness. And I will follow you. I will make you my Lord. And that's the part that gets left out a lot, right? Okay, I'll take the grace, but not really follow God. If we leave that out, then we've missed the point. Because it's easy to say, well, you know, I've, I've got grace, so I can just keep on and doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I got grace. But if we do that, if we respond in that, that way, then we don't really understand the depravity of our heart. Because if somebody gave you, if I walked up to you and I gave you a bottle of water out in the parking lot, you'd say, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. But if you've been in the desert for a week with nothing to eat or drink and I gave you a bottle of water, I would save your life. And your level of gratitude would be much, much different than it would have been out in the parking lot. And that's what grace is. We have no idea. We, have, we don't have a category <clears throat> for how much we need it, how much we don't deserve it. And the more we realize that, the more we come to terms with that, the more motivated we are to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. That's where the behavior change comes, right? And if we understand grace, if we know how depraved we are, and we understand uh, how, uh, how God has taken, uh, paid the price for that, it gives us the freedom. Then there's freedom in that. We can take off the mask. We can quit being that person on the outer. We can't quit completely, but we can start moving in that direction more and more. And that is authenticity. That is authentic Christianity. And that is what the world is looking for. That's what it should be. That's what pulls people in to Jesus. The psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thoughts, and point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We got to under, to really truly pray this prayer, you need to understand the gospel and how much we need it. So we know our true heart condition. When we understand our true heart condition, that's when we experience the joy of God's grace. And there is joy in that. And that's when we make a decision to follow him. And then we're a light to the world. Right? And that's what Jesus wants us to be. It's a light to the world. And those are the steps. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for how much, just for your love for us, uh, for your mercy, that you know us, you know our hearts, God, so much better than we do. 
You kept us from the judgment that we deserve. And your love for us is really, it's, it's unfathomable, God. So put on our hearts, Lord, where we really stand. And then where we stand with you, we thank you that when we we receive your gift of grace, Lord, that we were reborn. We're a new spirit, a new individual, and that you give us this this gift, God, of of, uh, joy on this earth while we're here and life with you everlasting. So I pray that we would move towards being ourselves, being authentic, that we could speak with each other, Lord, and, and just talk about this and become uh, uh, become more and more real to each other and take our masks off, Lord. And I pray that we could begin to uh, receive and develop your character more and more, as you said in Philippians, that day by day, God, that we could be conformed to your character and be alike to the world. Amen. God, that you know our deepest parts in our heart, those hidden corners, and we thank you that you want to bring those to light, and you want to redeem those. Pray that we would accept your grace and what it looks like to go there to experience those feelings and emotions, and we pray that in that grace that we would recognize you as Lord, we would choose to let you be Lord over those areas too. Thanks everyone for joining us this morning, both here and online. Before you go, I wanted to remind you of our group life retreat coming up in two weekends. Um, As part of that, we're going to have a number of breakout sessions led by people here. Um, I brought a list, it's a really good list. Um, Doing mission as a group, Rebecca is heading that one up. You guys do a ton of mission. Neighboring in and around the group, that's uh, Steve. If you didn't know, me and Steve, um, that's what if Jesus meant actually loving your neighbors meant actually loving your neighbors, your literal neighbors. And we've been trying stuff and we've got some stories of ways that has not gone well and things we've learned and just really neat conversations. Uh, Word and worship in group. So Brett's handling what does worship look like in group? Monica's talking about what does it look like to study the word? Uh, How do you form a new group? Tom Burns is going to be leading that. Healthy communication. Rusty and Lisa Simon. And let me tell you, they shared some of this years ago, and I still use things I learned from what they shared there. And then empowering members and building new leaders. Clay Davis is leading that one. So it's going to be a really neat time together, and we'd love to have anyone join. Even if just any of these breakouts sound interesting, you don't even have to be in a group. Just come. Um, You can find information on mylcc.info. There is a small cost because we are feeding everyone, um, but let us know if that is a barrier to you. And then finally, tables out in the lobby. We have kids in Honduras who could use our support in our sister community. I think it's $15 a month goes a really long way to help these kids stay in school, healthcare, just the basics, and we get to be part of that. And then also, if you already sponsor a child, we have backpacks for you. It's backpack season, so pick up backpacks for your kids, and Petra has lists of things that 
we want to include in those backpacks. So thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you in groups, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.